Future of Film Summit is taking place at BFI South Bank on 26th of November, and tickets are now on general sale at futureoffilm.live. Film has undergone massive disruption in recent years, and the old business models and structures are just not working anymore. But there are now incredible new opportunities too. Transformative technologies, cutting-edge commercial strategies and creative techniques that are literally revolutionising the entire film ecosystem. Future of Film Summit is designed for filmmakers, producers and industry who want to understand these shifts and learn how to incorporate them into their creative and business practice. The summit will feature incredible world-class speakers from across film, tech, and interactive, including creative players behind works like Star Wars Episode Nine, Ad Astra, and Black Mirror Bandersnatch. And that includes visionary designer Alex Modell, VFX legend Tim Weber, and award-winning artist Karen Palmer. But the summit is not just about big Hollywood movies and TV shows. It's about independent filmmakers taking advantage of these same tools and techniques and how you and they can unlock new forms of finance and brand funding. There are also hosts of exciting hands-on learning opportunities with demos of the latest tech including the chance to experience Magic Leap and intensive workshops on virtual production, well building and much more. And if that's not enough we will be hosting the Brand Pitch Create competition where you can pitch your project to a panel of brand funding experts. So that's Future of Film Summit, 26th of November. More information and tickets available now at futureoffilm.live. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to be part of shaping the future of film. Coming up in today's Film Disruptors. So to go back to your question, no, this isn't putting anybody out of work. In fact, it's allowing them to do their jobs and to get to the story a lot faster. Mm. Like that's the thing that Simon was saying is like, I get to my characters so much, so much more quickly this way. I can see if the timing is working. I can see if that thing's funny because when it's spending forever, like animating these cameras and spending all this time, you can just be like, Hey, why don't we try it from the left? Why don't we wait a beat? And then we cut to the close up. No, no, that doesn't work. You know, the what ifs become just what ifs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Film Disruptors Season 3. My name is Alex Stoltz, and this is the podcast where I share insights and strategies from the trailblazers who are shaping the future of film. And my guest today is Adam Myhill. Adam is creative director for Unity's Media and Entertainment Innovation Group. And Unity, of course, are one of the leading game engine platforms at the forefront of this real-time filmmaking revolution. Adam has a fascinating career and CV. He was a former photographer and a DP working as cinematographer on a number of feature films, but he's combined these skill sets with his game development experience and has created a number of tools for virtual cinematography. He's created a groundbreaking, Emmy award-winning procedural cinematic and in-game camera system called Cine Machine, 
which is used in a number of games and films. In this conversation, Adam explains exactly what that means and why a procedural camera system, along with other real-time tools, is transforming the filmmaking process. And just a comment here, I've noticed that when I use terms like real-time and procedural camera systems, people can phase out a little because it sounds super technical, a bit overwhelming, and something maybe I don't need to think about. But, and this particularly applies if you are a filmmaker or a storyteller, I really urge you to stick with this because the ideas and the applications Adam is talking about in this episode are literally revolutionizing the creative process and it's only going to become more prevalent and more important to your career, to your practice, to understand these principles going forward. If you are enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a few ways to stay up to date. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify or any of your major podcast platforms. You can also sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors, which is alexstoltz.com, S-T-O-L-Z. Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is also where you can access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Adam Myhill. And I start the show by asking Adam about his experience at Unity's Hack Week, which he just returned from. Yeah, so Hack Week, it's a, it's a special event. It's an honor to go. Uh, a bit of a tradition at Unity. So every year, uh, the majority of the engineers, uh, some designers and others uh, go away to... Um, the last little while, it's been in Nyborg Strand, just outside of Copenhagen. But we effectively take over this beachside resort that's there, and for a week, are encouraged to keep our outside attentions low and just focus on building things. And those things are to be ambitious, uh, dear to our hearts, hard, uh, you know, challenging projects that we uh, you know, try to get stood up within inside of a week. And we form these teams of you know, two to sometimes 10 or 15 people. We stay up all night and, and like a hackathon, uh, we just go till you know, four in the morning and rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And then on Friday, we need to make a video, a short video showing the progress of what we've done. Hopefully it's progress. And then uh, the whole group, and it was 800 people this year, if you can believe it, 800 people. And uh, we sit and we watch, yeah, we and we watch all the videos and celebrate everybody's triumphs or failures or partial successes. And uh, it's just so much fun. It's completely exhausting. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, but it, it sounds exhausting. 
But I mean, the amazing thing is, is that, you know, almost every engineer at Unity is there. So if you run into a problem, you're like, oh, who's the person who did the, you know, the input system or I need to speak to someone who knows something about uh, the animation, this component of it. That person is, you know, in the same room as you or, you know, just around the corner. So the velocity that you have when you're just, you know, eight laptops jammed together on a desk going from nine in the morning till three in the morning. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, you can accomplish some great things. And uh, it's my second hack week. And both times we have accomplished something that would have taken months otherwise. Wow. Uh, it's such an amazing, amazing format, the, the, the hackathon. But that's, it's such a, um, I guess it's really embedded in the, the tech culture and tech scene. And so I just, Tell, tell me a little bit more about Unity because I mean I know I know some, but I'd love for you to give me the the big picture. What if if someone doesn't know what Unity is? How would you describe it? You know that's it's actually not an easy answer to give because Unity is a creation engine. It's a visualization platform, and it's so versatile and so big as an idea that I can give you an elevator pitch on what Unity is for so many different things, for like making a 2D game, for making a, a, you know, a larger 3D multiplayer game, for doing something for medical or uh, industrial or architecture, uh, and for where I hang out and spend most of my time, which is in filmmaking. Uh, so Unity is this end-to-end -end platform creation engine, uh, and it brings speed and creative freedom for people who are trying to prototype ideas, uh, visualize things, uh, and create experiences. And I know those are big words that don't put too fine a point on it, but that's really the, 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 the beauty and the power of Unity is that it's this wide open engine that allows people to, to, to imagine an experience and then to create it. Wow. Uh, and what, what led you to this place, Adam? Because I know you're, I mean, tell me a bit about your, your background because you started out as a DP for feature films. Is that, is that your, is that the start of your career? That no, that's actually in the middle. Oh, okay. I mean, and in a way, it was in a way. Unity and I were destined to meet each other. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a in a photo studio. My dad was a photographer, and he had a, a large photo studio. And I grew up calibrating color printers when I was thirteen years old, and spent my entire life around cameras and lenses and imagery. Uh, and I worked as a photographer, and I had my own photo studio. And, um, the first person in the world to do time lapse aerial photography when the GPS systems came out. So I'd be in a helicopter and would say, you know, up a bit, left a bit, right a bit, and take a picture from the same spot in the air um, over months for large construction projects like bridges and and things like that. And then we crashed the helicopter, and I almost died. And uh, that ended that, <laughs> which was. Um, you know, kind of a strange way to wrap your photography career up. And then I said, you know, I want to get into get into video games. And I started working at Electronic Arts. It's a very lowly. I started in QA and uh, saw the art and wanted to bring uh, my photographic skills to it. And I got a job on Need for Speed 2, which is going to age me. And that was a long time ago. 
And pretty quickly, I realized that the video game worlds and the film and cinematography and photography worlds were pretty far apart. There wasn't a, an alignment on vernacular. There wasn't that much of an alignment on techniques uh, and specifically around cameras. Video game cameras were very primitive. They're very basic. They just followed subjects with a very hard constraint and they felt very video gaming. And I... Um, saw this opportunity because that felt like something we could really improve on to bring the world of uh, the, this, the lens language of cinematography and some of the, uh, the way that things look like, you know, what's, what's the world of color grading in video games? What's the world of lens emulation and blooms and chromatic aberrations and how we can move a camera in a realistic way. And, and I wanted to bring all those goodies to the video game world. And that was around 1999 that that started. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it just kept going from there. So then I built this thing called Cinebot, uh, and it was the, the, I think it was the world's first procedural camera, modular camera system. And we did that in, a, in a, uh, an engine called Frostbite, which came with dice, you know, an EA bot dice. And uh, we did that on a number of games, a game called Gunhead, which was never shipped. And then we did it on E for Speed, and then it went into... Medal of Honor, and they've used it on FIFA, and they've used it on a bunch of other games. And then I, I left video games. Um, it just felt like a break, you know, it was like almost 20 years. Hmm. And then I wanted to, you know, put my hand on real metal and glass and, and uh, took four years and worked as a film DP and, and shot uh, four feature films and a documentary. And uh, it's funny, you know, like the grass is always hmm. greener. Like when I was in an office I'm like longing to be outside shooting with real lenses and then you're outside shooting with real lenses and it's two in the morning and it's raining and it's cold and you're like just mm -hmm. want to be inside with a desk and a cup of tea on your mm -hmm. table um, and uh, then I got a call to do some to run the cinematics for a game called Homeworld a sequel to a game called Homeworld Homeworld Deserts of Karak and it was done by a friend of mine in Vancouver named Rob Cunningham and uh uh, it was a really great game history, and and uh, I was really excited to be a part of it. And that's when I first met Unity, and I saw Unity, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is this is it. You know, this is the future. Not because it's a great uh, game engine, creation engine, but because it had this thing called the asset store, and people can build things and contribute. And there's this giant ecosystem of people building stuff and sharing their technology and extending Unity to do all these great things that, you know, even the people at Unity never envisioned that it could do. Huh. So then I started a company and uh, got some people together and we built this thing called Cinemachine. And Deserts of Karak, the Homeworld um, sequel, was the first game that we, that we used it on. Let me share with you some of the problems. You are doing cinematics on a video game, and the vehicles that you have can be vastly different. You can have, yeah. you can be driving this giant vehicle. You can be driving a tiny one. You can have two vehicles. You can have a hundred. You're in charge of this convoy, basically. So, how do you make cinematics for something where you don't know what the subject is? And that subject could literally be a vehicle the size, like a tiny vehicle, or it could be an armada. Hmm. 
and I knew Cinemachine could do this because I'd built Cinebot previously, and I knew um, that you needed to have a procedural camera system. And what procedural means is, very simply, you're telling the camera how to handle something under variable scenarios. Mm. So we built these tools that you'd get a great shot if you just came into the cinematic with this tiny little vehicle, or you'd get a great shot if you came in with this giant armada stretching three miles behind you. And uh, almost all the cinematics in Homeworld, over an hour worth of them, are completely procedural, meaning we've instructed the camera how to shoot it. And depending on how fast the vehicles are or how big they are, the camera's figured out. And that's been the crux of my career, really, is building camera systems that um, operate when uh, the situation varies. So you give them your high-level direction, and then just like a real camera operator person, you tell them how to, the director or DP will tell them the shot, but then if the actor moves a little more quickly or is a little you know, taller or has a variance to the performance, the camera still figure it out. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with Unity's creative director, Adam Myhill. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or indeed any podcast platform that you prefer. And I start this section by asking Adam to really flesh out what a procedural camera system is and what it brings to the creative process. Okay, allow me to jump forward just a little bit and backtrack because there's an interesting uh, place to pick the story up. So recently we finished a project with Disney Television and Animation, and it was three short episodes for Big Hero 6, Baymax Dreams, we called them, the big, puffy, adorable white robot. And we had hired Simon J. Smith to direct them, and uh, he'd won an Academy Award for one of the films he worked on. He uh, did Shrek, and he was the head of layout for DreamWorks, and he'd spent, mm. um, I don't know, the last 15 or 20 years behind a camera uh, in the CG world. So I was obviously very invested in him being happy using my crazy camera tools. And when I first introduced them to him, he it was uh, I took a day because they work backwards. Cinema machine works backwards. The idea of procedural cameras work backwards. And what I mean by backwards is you go for the result and you don't directly tell the camera. You're not keyframing the camera directly. You're more keyframing the, the relationship between the camera and the subject. Right. So let me drill into that for a second because this is, this is the bit that takes everyone a moment to get and then it pops. In the real world, there's a relationship between the camera and the subject, right? You look through the lens, you see somebody on screen, you're tracking them, you want to maintain a composition, you know, keep them on the right side of the screen, whatever it is. And then as they perform, the camera follows. And there's like a little bit of lag. And then there's the weight of the camera, because we've never seen anything filmed through a camera that's weightless. You know, this thing weighs 50 pounds or whatever it is. So there's a little bit of acceleration, a little bit of deceleration. There's the operator's hands on the controls. There's this big, soupy, massive texture and, and animation information that if you're keyframing it by hand, it's doable. Uh, and I've done it. Uh, but it's slow and it's fragile because... What if the animation changes? You got to start all over again, or you got to start massaging lots of keyframes because that camera in CG 
doesn't have a relationship with the subject. You're just directly animating the camera and it doesn't know anything. Hmm. So what Cinemachine does and what, I mean, there's a, ton, a lot of different modules in there, but the, they all work together to give you an environment where you say, hey, I want to do the shot and I want the guy to be on the right side of the screen and I want like this much lag and delay and I want it to feel like this and that's it. And then when you say action and the guy moves, the camera follows. But then you can say, hey, actor, why don't you move a little bit more quickly? And the camera figures it out. Or, hey, get rid of that actor. Let's put a shorter actor in. Camera still figures it out because you've told the camera what to do and how to get that shot and it will do it under varying scenarios. Mm. And this was the aha moment for Simon. He's like, normally what you have to do is you have to like block instant cameras and then do all your animation and then tidy your cameras up at the end. But if you want to change your mind, all your cameras break and you have to go back and reanimate them. And what we did on Baymax Dreams was is we set the cameras up and then he'd start messing around with the character blocking and animations and could change them drastically and you wouldn't have to go back and do anything to the cameras because you already told them how you want those shots to go. Mm. So he'd say, come in from the left, come in from deeper left, walk faster, walk slower. And the whole time, all those little camera robots know what the shot wants to be, and they're handling it even though there's those changes. So it was this revolution in terms of the process because you're not always like doing your cameras and chasing the action, you know, unbreaking them every time something changes. Mm -hmm. You just set them up, using this around. And then once everything's done, maybe you want to go in and do like one final polish pass, but like that's it. You're doing one final polish pass at the end uh, instead of, you know, constantly breaking them every time something changes. So mm -hmm. uh, because of that and, and the power of, of real time and unity for storytelling, we got those episodes. And this isn't us saying this. This is Disney television animation 50% uh, of the time. We saved half the time with this workflow. Wow. Wow. So it's so this is going to I'm probably going to make this say this, you know, in, in a silly way. But uh, is it like in making the cameras intelligent uh, in, in a way that they are able to respond and react to the action? Is that right? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, the word intelligence is has got baggage and is yes. heavily loaded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. you know, we've used the word smart before. Uh, um, uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm cautious there. Like, sure, mm. they're smart cameras. Mm. Uh, and it, the other thing is, is you can have multiple timelines. And what that means is you don't have to have like one edit. What you can do is you can set up as many of these virtual Cinemachine cameras in the scene as you'd want. So you can have a guy with a really telephoto lens standing over there, and you can have one up high with a wider lens overhead, and you can have uh, close up on character A, close up on character B, mid on character A, mid on character B, whatever you want. You can litter the scene with all these cameras, and then they, you create little clips on the timeline of them, and then you can put them in any order. So the director can say, okay, let's do the scene now. Everyone go and all the characters move. Let's start with the wide. Okay, let's do a punch in on character two. Let's do this and let's go to the dolly shot. And it's like, no, no, no. Why don't we put the wide before the other one? And you can move these shots around because they're not camera animations. They're actually active, intelligent, I'll use their word, um, virtual camera operators 
you can move them around in a scene in any order that you like. And no matter where the people are in the scene, the cameras are still figuring it out. It's a completely different way of working. And it takes people a second for the light to go click, like, oh, my God, get it. These are like actual camera operators in the scene. You can have an infinite number of them. Mm -hmm. And then you can stitch your narration together um, any way you like, because at all times, all the cameras are shooting the scene um, appropriately. Fascinating. And, and tell me more about how that changes the workflow and who is who's who's in the the room when this is being decided obviously you've got simon there directing and, and thinking about how how he wants to, to to map things out but is there is there a is there a cinematographer anymore or, or, or have, you, have you have you have you made your your former profession obsolete adam no i know and that's that's something that uh comes up sometimes hmm. and i think actually uh, I think it's empowering because the cinematographer in the world of CG is either a director mm. um, or a DP who's high level, who's issuing, um, you know, stating their direction. These people are going to be lubricated and going to be able to work so much faster than they have been before. Or they're uh, a cinematic artist and they're someone who's keyframing cameras. And that's, well, you know, I've spent mm. many years doing this. That's actually why I built this thing. Because I was a camera artist, and I'd animate something, and then an animator would change it the next day, and I'd come into work, and all my camera work was was thrown out. My cameras were pointing at the sky because the character was in a different spot. And it's like, this is crazy. We can't do it this way. So to go back to your question, no, this isn't putting anybody out of work. In fact, it's allowing them to do their jobs and to get to the story a lot faster. Hmm. Like That's the thing that Simon was saying. Is like I get to my character so much so much more quickly this way. I can see if the timing is working. I can see if that thing's funny because when it's spending forever, like animating these cameras and spending all this time, you can just be like, Hey, why don't we try from the left? Why don't we wait a beat? And then we cut to the close up. No, no, that doesn't work. You know, the what ifs become just what ifs like, you know, before all these tools, what ifs were like crumple into your hands and like, Oh God, he's asking for a what if like, yeah. this is, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get home before dinner tonight. Mm-hmm. Now, what if it's just like, what if, and, and we, you know, we have this saying, like it's a, a unity um, puts, gives you the ability to have a finger in every department. So I'm looping back to your question about like, you know, who's in the control room with Simon and we have this job title which we need to improve the name we've been calling it the unicorn and allow me to explain that and that's someone who's doing a little bit of everything really quickly right up front so here's an example the unicorn will do some blocking animations on the characters it's throwaway animation that's just like you know coarse animatic get them in and then they'll do some blocking cameras and set up some cinemachine shots and get all that kind of working and then do some blocking editing but this is where it gets crazy because it's a completely parallel workflow. You're not doing certain types of creative contributions at the start, like, okay, we're going to do camera and then we move it to the editing department and then we move it to the lighting department and then we move it to the do department. It's parallel. So if on the second shot you want to experiment with a color grade that's like, hey, let's bloom it out and have the sky really blue on this one, you can do that. Like, you can do stuff that's normally done at the end, right up front. And then the inverse of that is the stuff that you normally had to get done at the very start because you're building all this stuff up on it. You can do it right at the end. Like you can change the time of day 
the day before you need to ship it on a scene. And if it looks good and is good, it's great because there's no render. There's no post. It's all in this big, you know, all of these tools are right in front of you all the time when you're working. Hmm. And that was the revelation for Simon where he could go from doing camera to animation to edit to color grading to lens stuff all in one sitting all together immediately. That's that's the that's the real time revolution. Wow. wow, I mean that's uh, revolutionary. And and so that is that is that what uh, when people refer to it as real time uh, technology, real time game engine is, is is that what you mean when there's no there's no post there's no post rendering? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, if you think of how it's being done in a traditional pipeline. You don't see that final frame until you've rendered out all the layers, done all of that work, goes through the compositor, and the director can finally see what it looks like. And this can be, you know, months or years into a project. And if something's not working, it's like snakes and ladders. You gotta go way back up to the start, mm-hmm. do your change, wait for it to go through all render farms, wait for all those layers to get rendered get it into the compositor, the compositor puts it together, and then you look at it. And that loop can be days or weeks, maybe even longer. And in in a real-time engine, there is no loop. And we had this thing that happened on, on Baymax Dreams where episode three looked a little bit too much like episode two color-wise. We had a global color grading control over the entire show. And we agreed that it would be better if we pushed the blues to make it look a little bit more purple. And I kid you not, it went like this. I opened the project up and went like, okay, let's make it more purple. I selected the color grading node that went over the whole show. I clicked a thing that is in the hue versus hue color grading area, just like in a color grading program. I pulled a little dip into the blue to push all the blues a little bit more purple. We scrubbed the timeliner from the start of the show to the end of the show, and we looked at every scene, and we're like, yeah, that's cool, we're done. And we were done, and we color graded the entire show in 45 seconds. Hmm. And Simon looked at this, and it, we all, like, we realized it was a magical moment, because we'd been doing this stuff, you know, the entire show, but to, to be at that point where we were days away from final, and we made this massive change over everything with no rendering. We could see it instantly. And it was, you know, four or five mouse clicks. And it was done instantly. It was just reaffir- it was this magical moment that was re- reaffirming to us that, mm. like, this is how you make content moving forward. It needs to be this easy. Mm. Wow. Tell me, are you seeing any applications for, for this in with live action? recording or or is it is it more confined to 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 the massive (laughs) space of animation yeah so i mean there's some really interesting hybrid spaces where it's like it's live action but you've got cg sets or it's live action but we're motion capturing them and then they have a virtual camera um, and I mean, so many different flavors in that space like it's a big mix of what's real and what's CG and artificial and, and, uh, and how they're all mixing together. Mm. One thing that we did, and this is something that we did at Hack Week, is I wanted to improve how virtual cameras, motion capture cameras work uh, in terms of their behavior. So 
no doubt you've seen, you know, like the motion capture camera, you hold your phone or an iPad or something and you're walking around a space. And when you look at the iPad, you see the CG space and you're actually like recording camera motion from, you know, your phone, right. Or some kind of controller thing that you're holding in your hands. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a bunch of work that DMM's done. This is stuff that, uh, you know, was done in avatar, you know, this whole virtual camera space. Yeah. So like, so if you're blocking out a scene, uh, Creatively, you can you can map that all out in advance, and then you're able to, yeah, it's drive drive efficiencies that way. Yes, yeah, and you're using this device in your hands as a way to explore the virtual world um, in a physical one. You know, you're looking. You can even do it through VR. Like you're in this space, you're wearing your VR goggles, you're looking around, but you're you know at the movie set in cg and you're you're seeing this you know like the lion king uses lots of examples but here's here's the bit that uh that i saw an opportunity in is we've watched so much media through real lenses and real cameras and real camera transport mechanisms that we have this subconscious understanding of how cameras move here's an example the steady cam rig you know that big the suit that a person wears that has the arm with springs in it and it holds the camera really smoothly so they can run around and go up and down stairs but the camera still has a very smooth movement right you know the one it's like a you know a famous yeah, yeah. real life camera thing yeah and, and those amazing shots like in um in um Goodfellas, yeah. you know, where they go down through the restaurant and all the way around the corners and everything, and then they, uh, uh, at the, you know, it's this one long Steadicam shot. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that Steadicam, the way that those springs move and where those pivot points and those hinges are, have a very signature motion. Mm. We know that as a Steadicam, like, no, very few people are going to be able to articulate it, but subconsciously, very surprisingly, we all know what that is. Mm. So when you're holding your phone and you're doing a virtual camera thing and, or you got a controller thing in your hand, the way that that moves and where the pivot points are are not the same. And you can you know something's wrong mm. because it doesn't move the right way. So one of the things that we did at Hack Week was to emulate a steady cam rig, but you're driving it from your phone. So what you can do is you can shoot something with your phone. But that puts the information through a virtual steady cam rig to uh, so when you you know you move your phone up and down and you have all this kind of crazy unwanted rotations that gets filtered out and you you have a virtual steady cam rig following and matching your move so you shoot it with your phone but it looks like it's been shot with a steady cam. And it's kind of hard to explain. And a lot of people are like, okay, yeah, this doesn't seem like I don't care. This this seems like unwanted but when you see the results mm -hmm. you look at the one and you're like that came from a phone you look at the other one you're like i don't know it just feels right it feels like it came from a movie mm -hmm. there's something mm -hmm. about it i don't know what mm -hmm. it is so it seems like you're, you a lot of your work you're trying to bridge this gap between the uh, the, the, the like we say the uh, vernacular of movie making and camera technology of of tradition and and bring it into this new space to yeah to to smooth that transition yeah and it's gone both ways i mean in the early days everyone was trying to get movie stuff into games and into cg mm. and then now it's it's like it's flipped everyone's trying to get game stuff into movies you know everyone wants the real-time yeah. tools and goodies on you know their, their their movie sets so it's just this big sandwich between yeah. the two 
And, and you know, my what I've been focusing on is the camera stuff to feel as good between those two worlds and to bring the best of both worlds because there's stuff in games that can actually can benefit movies as we're seeing, and obviously there's a rich cinematic lens language and all this stuff that benefits the other side. So um, at the end of the day, the media that you look at is through a camera. So you got to get that right. Mm-hmm. What would you say to a filmmaker or storyteller who is looking at, uh, likes the sound of this, but doesn't know how to get started or to how, how would they start to benefit from some of this technology when thinking about their next project, for example, what would you, what would you recommend? Uh, there's something that's unwavering and that is the fundamentals. And as anyone who's making media and content and aspiring filmmakers or filmmakers at any level, understanding the fundamentals of what works, lens language, composition, color, edit, pacing, that stuff doesn't go out of style. Think of like 20 years ago, if you wanted to make a film, you'd have to rent a camera, rent all your lighting, buy some film, you know, it was a, it was a big operation. It was expensive. And then DSLRs came out and, you know, laptops for editing and it's lowered the, the cost of entry to, you know, next to nothing. So it's available to anyone who wants to really do this. And then now we've got unity, which for students is basically, you know, it's free unless you're making, uh, you know, a, a project that's deriving income. And, you've now got infinite cameras and you've got infinite lights and you don't have to plug them in anywhere and you're not going to burn your hands on them and you've got as much dolly track as you want. So that stuff, like these tools are just going to give you more and more capability, more and more options. And it really just turns all that opportunity inward to like, well, what do you want to, what's your story? Hmm. What do you want to say? So I mean, my advice for anyone who's starting out is to, learn the fundamentals and and understand movies and like read the books and and get that fundamental stuff together because the technology is going to keep going and it's just going to get easier and easier and easier for you to tell your story so Mm. what's your story Mm. yeah that's uh, <laughs> that's that's exciting, and uh, and, it, and it, it removes a lot of the uh, what ifs and excuses that sometimes you know we're we're all guilty of, I guess, in terms of you know why why you know why why shouldn't I create and why shouldn't I tell my story? Yeah, I mean, if you've been following the Unity story, you, you hear that we have a saying that the you know the world is a better place with more creators in it, and I and I believe that. Mm. Um, there is a double-edged sword to this though, in that, you know, there is the, also the saying that like limitations set you free. And when you have, you know, a camera and a tripod in one lens, mm. uh, and there's been a lot of great movies that have been shot that way mm. because they just work with what they've got. And, uh, you know, unity gives you, it's a box of the infinite. Mm. It's the world's largest grip truck. It's the giantest virtual backlot. I mean, you've got every bell and whistle and goodie. There's no limitation there, uh, which is amazing. 
but it does make it so you need to figure out what you want to do. So my advice is to, you know, aspiring filmmakers and people using these tools is like, don't worry about the hardware and the camera and the goodies and the lenses and the lights. You've got as much as you want. So you can really focus on your story now. Mm. And just I mean, on a very practical level, though, where where do people start to to say, okay, great. I've got my story. That all sounds amazing. I've got, I've got my, you know, my, uh, my history of film and, and the, the fundamentals. I, I feel like I, I've got an understanding of that. So where next, what do they, they do? Just literally, literally just, you know, create an account on, on unity. Is that, is that as easy as it is? Yeah. I mean, go to the website, download it. We've got uh, lots of example projects. We've got one called the Film Sample Project. It's free. It's on the Asset Store. You can download that. It uses assets that were done with uh, Neil Blomkamp on the Adam 2 series. The Adam Robot, not uh, anything to do with me. Uh, really cool short films that he made. And yeah, you can get amazing. the Adam. Yeah, it's super cool. So we've, we've bundled up some of that and we're giving it away. Uh, we just released the Sherman project. Sherman was a short film that was uh, done uh, entirely uh, inside Unity. So I worked on the I worked with the team and we we built this short film using Unit uh, called Sherman, and it's using our new Fur system and it's got lots of cinematic goodies in there. You can download that and um, and get started. I mean we've got a mm-hmm. we've got a mode called Storyboard Mode in Cinema Machine where you don't have to do storyboards and, you know, Photoshop or whatever, and then put them into an editing program and then time your thing out and then go, okay, let's build it for real. You just put your storyboards right into Unity and you just start timing it out. And then as soon as you want to turn your storyboard into a 3D shot, you just, there's a single wiper, a single slider control. You just slide it down and now it's a 3D shot. Now you can start blocking your thing out in 3D. You can put your characters in and you can just start pulling your story together to see what works. Hmm. I mean, you know, the next project I do in real life with real cameras, I'm going to start it in unity and I'm going to block it all out and make sure it all works and make sure I like it hmm. and see how big the sets need to be and what lenses work the best and what the pacing is and all that stuff and make all your mistakes and try all your experimentation out where it's, you know, basically free and then go, yep, that's working. Okay. Let's shoot it for real. Wow. Look, as I say, we're coming to the end of our time. I know you've already you've imparted a lot of advice and wisdom to emerging filmmakers, and I. Uh, but I do just wanted to still ask the, the you know my question I ask all my guests, which is, could could you please you know summarize your advice for an emerging storyteller, someone who wants to enter this space and has uh, has a vision or has uh, you know has a has a story to tell what would yeah. you what would you say to someone in that situation well i would say focus on the fundamentals mm. i'd say when you're watching a movie and you get wrapped up in the story and you forget filmmaking i mean every filmmaker i I know has a hard time watching movies because they just are being critical of them mm. but there's these wonderful little fleeting moments where you get wrapped up in the movie actually washes all of that away and you get swept up and mm-hmm. when that happens that's a that's a pretty special moment so what did they do to make that get through to you deconstruct that figure out the language and the pacing the color and the editing and the story and the direction and tr- and get those fundamentals because i mean if we think these real-time 
tools are crazy now. What are they going to be in 10 years? I mean, this is just getting faster and we're just putting more powerful tools in the hands of every creative. So, uh, you need to understand those fundamentals and the craft of filmmaking. Um, and not necessarily in a traditional sense. I mean, there's virtual reality and augmented reality, and there's all these new places to take that, the idea of storytelling to these new mediums. Mm. But yeah, focus on the fundamentals because the tools are just becoming more powerful and more liquid. Mm, amazing. And where do you do you have any? I'm sure you do some ideas or predictions. Dare I say it of of where where the real time tools will be? It will, will be in in ten years time or five years time. What do you what do you what do you hope um, might be the the future? Oh, wow. That's a big question. Um, I think I have to take the word hope out of it. Okay. Uh, because I don't know. I mean, this is a, this is a whole other interview we could do. Uh, I don't know if all of this stuff is actually going the way, the way where it's going is going to bring, um, that much more happiness to humanity, but we're going to live in a, in an augmented reality world. Mm -hmm. We're going to have glasses that are displaying information and uh, we're gonna have data overlaid over top of everything and we're gonna have persistent narratives that live with us. So you're wearing your glasses and you've got a best friend and he's like a Tamagotchi, but like from the future and he lives with you and he runs around, you're gonna have virtual pets, virtual characters, we're gonna take part in these virtual stories, virtual narratives, and we're gonna live in a world where um, uh, make-believe and fantasy uh, is going to be overlaid and superimposed over reality and it's gonna get blurry. Mm. And that's going to be amazing because we're going to partake in all these experiences that are happening all the time and they're just integrated into our lives. Um, but then when you take those glasses off and you leave them at home, you know, you're going to feel pretty naked. How, how do you feel when you leave your phone at home going out on running an errand? It feels a bit weird, doesn't it? Yeah. Imagine what it's going to be like when you don't have these data overlay goggles on, you know, and the division of the masses between the people who have them and the people who don't. And we've got some interesting times ahead. Uh, so I don't want that to sound doomy and gloomy because I mean, it's going to be wonderful as well, but, uh, uh, augmented reality is going to bring in some very interesting things. And, and I don't know if we're all ready for them yet. It's a, mm. it's a, it's, mm. it's a group, you know, mm. Mm. Uh, well, that's, that's, Do I need to cheer that up? Yeah, I need to cheer that up. It's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. But yeah, I feel like we're, I feel like we should we should end on a more you know, a more positive note. Um, you know what I like? I, here's, I here's, I, yeah, go on. Here's, here's something crazy: is uh, you know, I'll, I'll go to a unite and I'll meet a kid who's 16, not even out of high school and says, can I show you something? And shows me this short thing that they did with Unity and some assets they pulled together. And they've, they've told this story and it punches way above its weight because they're using the same tools that we use for Disney, right? Like, I mean, everybody gets everything. And I look into this kid's eyes and they're sparkling and they see uh, this ability to to, to share how they're feeling and to tell these stories. And I realized this kid's on a journey and is going to do amazing things. Mm. And they did it with a thousand dollar laptop that, and the download of the software for free. Mm. I mean, that's amazing. Mm. Mm. And, and yeah. that warms my heart when I see people, you know, able to do that stuff where, you know, not that long ago, that was a hundred thousand dollar camera and, and you had to buy film for it. And 
only very large productions could put something like that together. So that was my conversation with Adam Myhill of Unity. If you want to find out more about Adam or any of the guests on the show, listen to other episodes or get in touch. You can do all of this at alexstoltz.com. So that's it for this episode. Just like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. Future of Film Summit is taking place at BFI South Bank on 26th of November and tickets are now on general sale at futureoffilm.live. Film has undergone massive disruption in recent years and the old business models and structures are just not working anymore. But there are now incredible new opportunities too. Transformative technologies, cutting edge commercial strategies and creative techniques that are literally revolutionizing the entire film ecosystem. Future of Film Summit is designed for filmmakers, producers and industry who want to understand these shifts and learn how to incorporate them into their creative and business practice. The summit will feature incredible world-class speakers from across film, tech and interactive, including creative players behind works like Star Wars Episode Nine, Ad Astra and Black Mirror Bandersnatch. And that includes visionary designer Alex Modell, VFX legend Tim Weber, and award-winning artist Karen Palmer. But the summit is not just about big Hollywood movies and TV shows. It's about independent filmmakers taking advantage of these same tools and techniques and how you and they can unlock new forms of finance and brand funding. There are also hosts of exciting hands-on learning opportunities with demos of the latest tech, including the chance to experience Magic Leap and intensive workshops on virtual production, well-building, and much more. And if that's not enough, we will be hosting the Brand Pitch Create competition, where you can pitch your project to a panel of brand funding experts. So that's Future of Film Summit, 26th of November, more information and tickets available now at futureoffilm.live. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to be part of shaping the future of film. <laughs>